0: My guest today is Zach Spafford. Zach Spafford is a life coach. He's been in the coaching. He's been coaching in the business world for over 15 years, and changing lives through increased productivity. And he's achieved some great results. Zach has a passion for making people's lives better through helping them move past their addictive behaviors and becoming the people they want to be. Zach, thank you for joining me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here.
0: And I also note that Zach is also a fellow podcaster. Yeah. You just started the first of November, right?
1: Yep. First part of November, we started the self mastery podcast, which is a podcast that will help you figure out how you can become the best you, the person that you want to be. Um, right now we're focusing on pornography and overcoming pornography addiction and helping people begin that process of really getting away from, uh, using pornography in a way that is, uh, is helpful to them. Um, uh, you know, a lot of times I deal with people, I work with people who have, you know, they've gone through their bishop, they've gone through the counselors, they've gone through the 12 step program, and they're just not finding the success that they're, that they're looking for. And so this is the, this is the place that they can come to find that success. The same success that I found when I was trying to figure out my own addiction, I, I actually, you know, I stepped away from all of those things that, you know, normally people do, including the 12 step program. And I found my, my way by looking at my brain, figuring out how my brain works. And then using coaching techniques before I even knew coaching, you know, as a profession, as a, you know, I, I I guess everybody knows who Tony Robbins is, but I never thought I would ever be a coach. And I never thought, you know, coaching could help me, but my wife actually uh, started listening to a, a podcaster named Jody Moore. And every once in a while, she'd be like, Hey, you know, that thing that you used to do to overcome your pornography addiction. Jody just taught that on, on the podcast. And I was like, well, you know, that's, I mean, that's how it works. That that's, that's what worked for me. And so we started down that path of, of becoming a life coach.
0: Well, and I, and I want to acknowledge that I've, I've had a podcast for two years and I think in the what, six weeks, You've started your podcast. You have about as many downloads as I do. So that speaks that you are effective and on a topic that is much needed.
1: Well, I I think the reality is, is, and you know, so I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I don't know who exactly your audience is, but uh, for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, pornography addiction and the use of pornography is just, it's not going away. It's going to continue to be something that we deal with now and in the future. And this is really, I think appropriate to the moment. We have so many kids, so many adults who have pornography at their fingertips with all of the various media devices that are so available and so easy to access the pornography that it is going to continue to be a problem until we address the root causes of it and deal with that as a, as, as a society, as uh, not just members of the church, but also as members of our you know human race, we need to look at this and say, okay, is this who we really want to be? Is this how we really want to move forward and address the root uh, desire within our individual selves to make us a better person so, so that we can be the person we want to be, truly? More often than not, I'm dealing with somebody who is at an individual level, very very, uh, anxious and very upset about the situation that they've put themselves in. Right. We, as people, we make our choices and sometimes those choices don't exactly connect with our, you know, our moral compass. Right. And so it's especially, um, adult members of the church. You know, I think as youth, there's, there's a certain amount of compassion that we have for youth because they're always struggling with, you know, just becoming an adult. Yeah, As we move into adulthood, I think we find that there's a lot less compassion for those who are struggling with pornography, partly because we feel as though this is an absolute no, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I often ask people that I, that I work with, if somebody said to you, you know, you're a Mormon, you can't drink coffee, the response is not always this, but I think it's easier to say, I can, but I choose not to. Now imagine standing in front of a relief society room full of uh, full of women and saying, "I can look at pornography." That that is such a different feeling. It's such a different space to put someone in, and yet the reality is, is that it's 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 no different in terms of your agency to say I can look at pornography or I can drink coffee, and the moment that we take our agency back into our hands and say, I can, but I choose not to, is the moment that we are empowered to actually move past these things. Rather than, I can't look at pornography, or I shouldn't look at pornography, or I should not look at pornography, or I should stop looking at pornography. Those three phrases reduce our power, they reduce our agency, they reduce, they're, they're actually abdications of our agency. Because if I said to you, you're a Mormon, you can't drink coffee, and you said to me, you're right, I can't, then what you're really saying is, well, the word of wisdom says I can't, or my bishop says I can't, or the prophets say I can't, and so I'm not going to. But when you choose to say something along the lines of, you know, I can look at pornography, but I choose not to, then you are owning your own, one, you're owning your decision, and you're maintaining your agency. Right. And that's a very different feel. And that's the process that I bring people through Is I move them from, you know, that victimhood. And, you know, you know, there are these there are these great societal issues that we're talking about in terms of sex trafficking and uh, it, it being a victimless crime and all of that. But at its core, this is this is a one person, one decision issue that every single adult has probably dealt with. And most every single child will deal with before they turn into an adult, before they even hit their teenage years. Most every child is going to deal with this. And so we have to teach this properly in terms of this is about choosing who you want to be, not uh, being ashamed of what's going on on the the outside here.
0: So the individuals you work with then um, have already determined that they want to stop this addictive behavior they and they're working on uh you talked about the you know the choice the making the choice and getting their power back so that they can choose not to look at pornography
1: Uh right and it's not just um, it's not just stopping looking at pornography. Part of what I do is I help people get to a place where they, they don't even want to look at pornography anymore, which I think is a huge, huge advantage in terms of actually long-term succeeding. You know, your brain gets gets wired, right? It, you set up a neural pathway that says, this is easy to go down, right? And the more you go down that pathway, the more that pathway gets It wrapped in what's called myelin sheath. Myelin sheath essentially is a, is a fatty cell within your, uh, within your brain that insulates a neuron. The more you use that neuron, the more myelin sheath it takes on. What that means is the faster and more simply and easily that, that brain cell will fire. So that's, that's essentially the the neurology behind having a, a habit what we do is we dismantle that highway and then we also build a separate highway based on, uh, based on choosing to feel our feelings rather than avoid them through the buffering that, that is pornography and also creating a, a process whereby you stop looking to avoid who you are and what you're feeling. And you simply decide, okay, I can feel bad for five minutes as, as, As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we are familiar with the idea of opposition in all things. What we don't like, what humans don't like, is we don't like to feel uncomfortable. That's why you find people staring at their phones in every public space, right? Because they are bored, or they're lonely, or they're tired, or they're hungry, or they're uncomfortable because there are strangers around them. We look at our phones as a way to buffer away the time so that we don't have to feel uncomfortable. Rather than, you know, my dad's one of those guys who would walk up to complete stranger, you know, you're standing in line at a grocery store and he would just say, Hey, how's it going? Start having that conversation. That was another, that was a way of him passing the time. We don't do that anymore as people because we feel uncomfortable. We, we retreat into our phones in a lot of different ways. That same discomfort or, you know, those, those lonely feelings, all that, that's that's also why we turn to things like pornography or video games or uh, internet surfing or eating or over, you know, excessive shopping, those buffers make it so that we're not actually feeling our feelings. And as a result, our you know, the opposition in all things, we feel bad for a moment. We get an immediate dopamine hit from whatever buffer we're d- using. And then in the long run, we actually put our our happiness and our joy at risk because we've done something that's contrary to our higher brain's moral compass.
0: Yes, that makes sense. And I was interested when you made the comment that you learned how your brain works where, where other programs had not been effective. It was when you learned more about how your brain works. So is this then in your coaching you're helping people to understand that how their brain works
1: yeah so that's that's a huge component of it because our brains are you know they 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 operate on two levels right you've got your lower brain which a lot of people call your monkey brain it's your it's your survival brain it does three things and it does them extraordinarily well right it conserves energy. So that's the habit forming part of your brain. And you'll know what I mean when, when I talk about conserving energy, when you think about places that you drive to often, right? If you drive to work every day on a day that you think, okay, I need to stop and get something before I get to the office and you drive right past whatever it was that you needed to get, you arrive at the office, you think, darn it, I should have gotten that. That, That's your lower brain working. And it's, it knows, the path. And so it just, you get on that path and you go. Whereas, um, when you're driving to somewhere that's new, that you've never been before, you know, how you turn down the radio to see better, right? Which is weird, but that's actually your higher brain trying to make decisions better. It's, it's lowering the energy that it's putting into the audio input and it's, uh, and it's increasing the energy that it's putting into the visual input, right? So conserving energy is one thing you're, Lower brain does, the more you go and do something like use pornography or so what that looks like in terms of a pornography user is I feel lonely or I feel sad. So I start to scroll, you know, I get on my phone and I check something out and then that starts a path, a pattern of, of behavior that ends usually, uh, you know, with pornography use. And so you've built uh, an energy conservation pathway. So the next thing that your brain does is it seeks pleasure. So this is, this is something anybody who has ever had ice cream will understand, uh, especially if you are already full, right? You're at that point where you're like, oh, I'm too full, but there's ice cream here. So I'm going to take that extra bite of ice cream or I'm going to eat a dish of ice cream. What that is is your body is saying, listen, dopamine is extraordinarily important. And it was in terms of evolution – Very, very important, right? It's the thing that made you get fatty foods and seek out berries. It's also the thing that helps us procreate because we seek out that dopamine hit. It's also the thing that sometimes allows us to take risks that we wouldn't normally take because maybe, just maybe, there's a big reward at the other end of that, right? So that's the seeking pleasure component. And then the last component is, um, what is it? So it's uh, conserve energy energy seek pleasure oh and avoid pain right so avoiding pain is something that our brain does automatically in lots of situations where even though the pain is very real it's not life-threatening right and our brain does not like to feel bad we don't like to feel bad we don't like to feel sad we don't fight, like to feel lonely we don't like to feel hungry we don't like to feel tired and so our brain is like oh my lower brain says i'm a little bit hungry uh i'm going to go grab something from the kitchen even though maybe i don't really need to right it's it's that process that your brain goes to to make sure that you are always as happy as possible now when you know high fat foods and high sugar foods were very scarce that was a very important mechanism to keep your body alive, right? When, when mating was very scarce, right? You know, to, to mate primitively, you had to, you know, win the battle, right? You look at primates and you see, you know, alpha male will be able to mate with certain uh, uh, females, but not everyone can always mate with all the females, right? Well, that was a way to, you know, your brain was trying to make that happen. Now, when you've got pornography ubiquitous, you've got sugar and fatty foods ubiquitous, you've got dopamine hits coming out of Candy Crush, all of a sudden, your brain's like, oh, I can get this all the time. And it doesn't realize you don't have to, you don't always have to feel good to be safe. And and so those three things combined make what we call pornography addiction. Now, I'll be honest, I think most people who use pornography are probably not what I would term clinically addicted. Um, They are 90% of the time dealing with a a habit that they just need to dismantle.
0: So you view pornography, not so much as an addiction, but a habit that can be broken.
1: I, I believe that there are people out there who are probably addicted to pornography. That's not who I work with. That's not what I deal with. I deal with that guy who use it two or three times a week not you know in in the privacy of his own home or uh, in a stressful moment or, or woman for that matter I, I'm not dealing with that guy who's literally looking at it on his phone in the middle of a business meeting risking his entire career so there are people who are addicted I'm sure most of the most of the people who are using pornography especially members of the church are probably not addicted. You know, there's some research out there that indicates that religious people tend to label things as addiction much more quickly than other uh, than other types of people. And and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What I am saying is that it you know we need to be careful about how we use that label. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why I stopped going to the 12-step groups because you know they and some of this is backed up by a book called The Sober Truth. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but Dr. Lance Dotis uh, takes a treatment of the AA twelve-step uh, meetings, and he he breaks into the research, and uh, essentially what he found is that you are statistically no more likely to succeed at overcoming any addictive behavior, like you know excessive drinking, through AA than you are to to just spontaneously overcoming it. So there's no, there's no correlation in terms of um, a greater success rate in 12-step programs than there is in just doing it on your own. In fact, there's some indication that you may actually be worse off by going through a 12-step program because um, what happens is people who aren't succeeding at the 12-step programs, they tend not to report their lack of success. And so, what you may find is that you're you're getting some self-selection uh, in terms of your higher success rates because of the way that the program is set up. One of the things it talks about in the twelve step program is, you know, if you're not working the steps, then they're not working for you. Meaning, if you're not trying hard enough, then you're you're failing, and and that puts that puts a lot of the blame back on the individual rather than saying if this isn't succeeding for you then we need to adjust the program so that it better meets the needs of the constituency and essentially in a 12 step program according to dr Dota's book the the sober truth you're looking at a 5 to 10% success rate that is a very very abysmal success rate if you went and you know got any surgery and you were looking at a 5 to 10% success rate you probably wouldn't do it
0: no no and you touched on another factor, it's my understanding, uh, that plays into this is your your self-esteem. Again, as you mentioned, someone who is religious and feels that this is wrong starts to beat up on themselves. And, and to me, it would start a cycle that they, they're angry at themselves, they're feeling worse, then they turn to... Pornography to feel better, and then the you know is that you've yeah is that what you have observed as well?
1: Oh yeah, it's a cycle, and a lot of and all of it begins with a thought. So um, if we take and set aside for a moment the moral argument that pornography is bad, and I'm not, I don't agree that pornography is good. That's that's not what I'm saying. But if we take that argument, we just set it aside for a moment. I think we can look at pornography as as basically neutral. Um, and in fact, all circumstances are, are neutral. And what I mean by that is, um, a good example of this is if you've ever known someone that died, right? Unless you were there at the moment of their death, that circumstance had no impact on you until you thought about it. What that means is that your thoughts actually dictate whether something is good or bad so you can choose to think that it's good that someone died and you can choose to think that it's bad that someone died right and so death in and of itself is is neutral pornography is the exact same way so there are people out there that would make an argument that pornography has positive effects in in a variety of ways right just as there are people out there who would argue the opposite but yeah at the end and
0: i would be one of them
1: <laughs> right and and <laughs> i and i'm i'm setting that aside for just a moment and i'm saying okay at, At this point, someone comes in and they say, pornography, you either have a thought that it is good or you have a thought that it's bad. Mm -hmm. And what I teach people is to change their thinking from, I can't stop looking at pornography, which is a standard thought that I think almost all people who use pornography that don't want to use it have. In fact, it was my thought and I help them change it from, I can't stop looking at pornography, you know, circumstance being neutral, to I can look at pornography if I choose to, and I don't want to choose to today, right? And then eventually you get to a point where you can say, I could look at pornography if I want to, but I choose not to. And that is a much more powerful thought. Also, by the way, more true than I can't stop looking at pornography, right? Yes, it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you're taking away that emotional impact, that, that shame.
1: Well, yeah. So you're not taking away the emotion because every thought creates emotion, right? So your thoughts create your feelings, right? So when grandma dies, if grandma lived a good long life and she was ready to go home and, and be with grandpa, I might think I'm so glad that grandma has passed away. Mm -hmm. But I also just as well might think I am going to miss her terribly. And that is going to make, and those two feelings or those two thoughts will create different feelings. One will be sad. One will be happy. Right. So the exact same circumstance, nothing's changed. Grandma still died. Yeah. But the circumstance, but what changes is our feelings based on how we think about. Right. Yeah. The same thing happens with pornography. If I think I can't stop looking at pornography, pornography is neutral, then my feeling might be powerlessness. Yeah. Whereas if I think I can look at pornography, if I choose to, then I might feel empowered. Right? And that is a different place to approach from. And by the way, we make almost all of our decisions, not on facts, but on feelings. So I spent a good number of years selling cell phones and people would come in and they'd be like well i want a new phone tell me about this phone and of course you'd run through the features but really what you were trying to do was find out why they really wanted this phone was it to make them feel like they were safer right i have better access to people when when i was selling cell phones the motorola razor was was the hottest thing on the planet and one of the feelings that people wanted want to feel you know this about your friend who is like always pulling out his apple new technology from apple that it makes them feel cool or uh like they are more interesting right so people make all of their buying decisions on their feelings. we make all of our other decisions on feelings as well there's no there's very few situations where you can point out to someone the facts and make them feel like they really do want to change based solely on the facts. It's really about how they want to feel about whatever it is that they're doing. And this is the same with pornography use. My goal is to help you feel empowered, able, willing, wanting, whatever it is that you want to feel. Uh, one of the people I coached last night, he uh, he said I said to him, "Well, how do you want to feel?" You know, he he, he went through, so his, his circumstance was a girl, and his thought was, I don't want to be lonely, and what that created in him was a feeling of sadness. Well, that sadness then brought him to a point where he acted in a way that was not in concert with his moral high ground, right? And the result was, when you don't act in the way that you think is the appropriate way to act, well, you keep feeling lonely and sad because you're not being the person you want to be. And so I said to him, okay, how do you want to feel? He said, well, or sorry, what do you, what do you actually want? What's the result that you want? And I said, he said, well, I want a partnership. I said, okay, well, what are the things that you would do to have a partnership? And he said, well, you know, I would be, I would be treating my wife like a child of God. I would be, I would be loving my girl. You know, he doesn't have, a he doesn't have a wife now. He's, he said, I would be treating my, girlfriend like a child of God I would love her I would be there for her I wouldn't use her which by the way is instant gratification right and I said well how would you feel if that's what you were doing he said well I would feel joy and I said okay to feel joy what thought do you have to have in relation to that circumstance which doesn't change from place to place you leave that circumstance the same girl is the same circumstance and he said well I guess I would have to think I'm going to be with someone that I can work towards goals with. Right. That was his, his thought. And all of a sudden he's like, wow, now I can, now I have a place to go rather than just wallow in my negative, in my thoughts that create these negative feelings. And, and that is the process of, by the way, repentance. If you look at the root word of re- the word repentance, which is metanoia, uh, the Greek root of the word repentance is metanoia, metanoia. It means to have a new mind. Well, what is your mind if it's not your thoughts? And so the process of repentance is really just changing your thoughts from what they might be, what, they, what the natural man would bring to you, to something that um, is more in concert with the will of the Lord.
0: Okay. And as I'm listening to this, I'm just kind of picturing, I'm assuming that for anyone to reach out to you, they have to want to change. They, they must be at some level unhappy with what they're doing and they want to make a change. Does any of this work for someone who may not yet have decided to make that change. I mean, can you start with just they're? they just know they're not happy and they're not getting what they want out of life.
1: Yeah. I mean, so the, the truth of the matter is, is that you have to have a compelling why. Oh yeah. If you're familiar with Simon Sinek and his work, right? He's exactly right. The why is the paramount question to ask yourself. If you don't know why, then there's really nothing to change and unfortunately if someone came to me and said well my wife says that i need to stop looking at pornography if they don't have a more compelling why than an external you know i'm supposed yeah. to do this then then th- that's not someone who's ready for for what i do that's not someone who's really gonna be benefited by what we do right? The goal here is for someone to be benefited to live in a way that is um, is serving them. If the way you're living is not serving you, and you don't know why you would want to change it, then there's not really anything to change. If you do know why you would want to change it, you know I'm unhappy. I know that you know acting in a certain different way would bring me great joy. Then that that's a that's an opportunity for change.
0: Well that makes sense. So tell me more about the services you offer. It sounds like your podcast, I've listened to your podcast. It's great. I I have great admiration for that, you know, being a podcaster myself. And I'm definitely leaving a link to your podcast so people can hear that too. And is it mainly one-on-one coaching that you offer?
1: Yeah. So right now I, I coach one on one. Uh, All of my clients reach out to me through my website, zacksbafford.com slash work with me. You can set up a free mini session there. We can have a conversation. It's there's no, there's, there's no sales pitch. It's just an opportunity for you to see what coaching with me is like, seeing if it might help you, if it can help you, you know, at the end we talk about, okay, what's it cost to work with me? My goal is, is never to pitch someone on uh, on a sale because at the end of the day, if this isn't a hundred percent and wholly within your desire to do, this isn't going to work. My, I, I, yeah, I can't, I can't capture you. That's not my goal.
0: This is not like selling a cell phone. <laughs> it is, it is
1: very much not like selling a cell phone, which I was very good at, frankly. But it, what I do is, is so much deeper than that that. It, you really have to be a hundred percent on board. This has to be something that you're, you know, you're going to be decisive about, and that you're going to be willing to do the homework. You're going to be willing to do the the self coaching that it requires to actually become pornography free or whatever addictive behavior you're dealing with. If you're dealing with uh, overeating, if you, you know, I have a client who binge eats, and you know, she does it because she feels uncomfortable. It's that transition between going to the going to the grocery store and going back home. And so she'll reach over and grab a couple of candy bars out of the grocery bag on the way home and, you know, put, you know, eat them as fast as she can. So her kids don't know that she eats the candy bars, right? I work with people who do, uh, they, they excessively video game, right? So it's that, uh, I spent eight hours and I don't know what happened to them. All those people that, that really need that assistance, that, that change in their lives. I'm I'm happy to work with any of them, but they they really do have to come willing to be the person that they want to be.
0: That's so true. I just I can only agree with that. So the best what is the best way for people to come? I know you also have a Facebook page.
1: My Instagram is self underscore mastery underscore coach, and my Twitter handle is it's coach underscore mastery. So you can reach me on any of those platforms. You can also Facebook is self at self mastery coach, or you can just go on my website and sign in. It'll give you my email. You can email me directly uh, at uh, info at zachsparford dot I'm easy to get a hold of. M- my goal is to make it so that as many people as want to have the opportunity to change.
0: Okay. That's powerful. Yeah. Well, Zach, thank you so much for your time. Anything else you want to share?
1: Absolutely. I love talking to people. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be on your podcast. This, is, uh, this has been amazing. Please feel free to you know, send anybody that needs my help my way, and I will happily put them on my docket, put them on my uh, schedule.
0: Thank you, Zach, and you have a great day.
1: Thank you. You too. Talk to you soon.